Today we're starting a series uh, in the book of Colossians. Now I've been looking forward to this for quite some time. I've been reading through the book of Colossians several times and, and I'm, I'm really excited because uh, in this particular uh, book, we're going to find really what it says right there, kind of the, the, the tagline there, the supremacy of Christ. Now for most of us, if we ask the question, is Christ first place in your life? Almost all of us would give the intellectual answer, of course he is. Uh, but think about it this way. If a young man and woman were getting ready to get married and the young man in premarital counseling turned to his soon-to-be bride and he said, now listen, honey, I just want you to know you're always going to be a priority for me. And there's a few other girls that are also going to be priorities for me, but you'll be the best priority. You'll be the biggest priority for me, even though I have a few other girls on the side that are also priorities for me. Is that okay? How do you think that would go? That would not go well for that young man. Uh, by the way, if I'm doing your premarital counseling, you suggest uh, saying anything like that, please don't. Uh, you'll lose your, your mind there. Uh, but listen, folks, I think sometimes, I think we approach our life with Christ kind of the same way. Uh, we may not think it intellectually. We may not think it consciously. But sometimes I think we approach Jesus and say, Jesus, you're going to get first place in my life. You're going to be the supreme priority in my life. Now, I've got other priorities I'm going to juggle around you. I've got other things in life that are not as important but pretty close that I'm going to be juggling around you. So I'll come to church some Sundays and other Sundays I'll be at the ballpark and, and I'll be at these things with my kids and I'll do this and that. But I'll be there probably the majority of Sundays. I'm going to give you some of my money. Now, I'm going to spend a lot more money on my house, a lot more money on my cars and all my other things. But I'm going to give you some. I'm going to make you a priority my whole life. I think we approach Christ that way. And folks, I want to let you know something. Uh, uh, we're not going to talk about it much today because really the essence of this is next week. But Jesus responds to us in the same way that that young woman would, ex would respond to her bridegroom. I don't want to be just a priority in your life. I have to be, I have to be the supreme priority or no priority at all. Now, we're going to see that next week, clear as a bell. Uh, but I want to, now, I probably just, you know, probably know you'll show up next week. But anyway, uh, you know, I, I, I know you will. Uh, listen, because I know we want to be this way, folks. We just got to be careful because while we might say that in our minds, we might mean that with all sincerity, the reality is when life comes upon us, we don't always live out our lives as though Jesus is the sole and most important priority. The reason that I want to be a good husband is because I want to please my Jesus. The reason I want to be a good father and grandfather is because I want to please Jesus. The reason I want to be a good pastor is not just to be a good pastor. The reason I want to be a good pastor is because I want to please Jesus. Folks, every, that should just permeate every single uh, thought in our lives. And we're going to see in this book that that is the central theme of this entire book. Now, I, I, I didn't count them, but I think there's 98 verses uh, in the book of Colossians. And that means that you can read the book of Colossians, the entire book, in about 15 to 20 minutes, uh, even if you're a mediocre reader. So, folks, I want to encourage you, the entire time that we're going through this book, the entire time that we're preaching through this book, I want to encourage you to read through the book of Colossians every single day. It takes 15 minutes. Now, if today you're saying, well, Michael, I make Jesus the supreme thing in my life, the supreme priority of my life, great. Take 15 or 20 minutes every day and read this book. I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, it will drastically change uh, your view of life when we get to the end uh, of this uh, series. 
So today we're going to start uh, in this series with this particular topic, Paul's prayer for the Colossians. Now Paul is going to write them and say, hey, hi, this is Paul, I'm with Timothy, we're doing our thing here, and I want to write some things to you and kind of say hi, but then he adds some really important things to that. We're going to take a look at that today, but I want to give you some quick uh, kind of facts about this book before we move on. Okay, it was written by Paul while in prison to the church in Colossae. Uh, now... Um, uh, Paul is in prison, uh, we're pretty sure in Rome, and he's writing this. This is one of what, what we call uh, the prison epistles, and so he's writing this letter to the church from prison. It's written around six, uh, you know, a long time after uh, Jesus was on the scene. It's fairly quick, uh, fairly early on in the church's life, and uh, of course, uh, the quicker things are written, the more accurate they are. Uh, the church of Col Colossae was founded by Epaphras. We're going to see that even today in this passage we're going to look at. Uh, this guy is a church planter. Uh, uh, he basically, in, probably in, in Ephesus, he was one of Paul's disciples. And so he's traveling to Ephesus. Uh, Paul leads him to Christ, disciples him. Uh, Paul was there for a couple of years. Paul disciples him. This guy goes back uh, to Colossae and, and plants a church. Starts sharing Jesus, and this church is birthed out of his testimony and out of his pastoring. These people will see that today. And then finally, uh, Paul was never at the church that we know of. Now, we know for certain that he had never been to this city uh, before he writes this letter. We don't know for absolute sure uh, that he didn't stop by on one of his other future missionary journeys, uh, but we know at least at this point he had never been uh, to the city, and probably the likelihood is that he never, ever got there. So he's writing this letter to a church he's never been to, a bunch of people uh, that he's never met, uh, based on what he's hearing from the pastor. And so, uh, and, and from other testimonies. I also want you to see, and I know it may be kind of hard uh, from where you're at, uh, but this is kind of a map of the earliest churches. Uh, the seven churches in red there are the churches that John wrote about in the book of Revelation. Uh, the bottom right-hand red, and the reason I use this particular map is because you can kind of maybe look at it from this point. The bottom red circle is Laodicea. Right next to that is Colossae. It's about 100 miles straight east of Ephesus. And so it's pretty close to all of those churches, um, that uh, most of them that Paul started, but not this particular one. Uh, it's known for its heavy trade, uh, and especially, its, its big specialty was dyed wool. So if you wanted really good, glossy black wool, this is the town to go to. All right, so that's kind of a little bit of history uh, there for the city. And let's get right into the passage. And I want you to see that the first thing Paul does is he commends the faith, hope, and love of the Colossians. He commends the faith, hope, and love of the Colossians. Now, if you really spend some time looking at all of Paul's letters, you see that he basically gives an evaluation to every church he writes to on their faith, their hope, and their love. Uh, some churches he writes to them specifically because they're falling down in one of these areas. But pay close attention to what Paul says in the first five verses here of the book of Colossians. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Thanksgiving and prayer, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Now, in this quick, you know, 
Dear church, hi, this is Paul. He, he basically commends them uh, for these three things. He says they're really doing, you're really doing well in these three areas. It's kind of a church's uh, a review. If, if the apostle was going to go around to churches and give them a review, probably the first thing he'd do is sit down with the pastor and say, now how is the church doing on their faith, their love, and their hope? And so he's commending them that they're all doing well. The reason he looks at these things is because uh, they cover really a great multitude of the ways uh, the church should uh, believe and the church should act. When he talks about their faith, he's talking about their adherence to the gospel and believing strongly in the Lord. Do you have faith? Do you really believe uh, that Christ is in you? Do you really believe that God has your church on a path? Do you really believe these things? Are you living in a way that shows your strong belief? And then he talks about their love. And it's not talking about just their love for one another, but also their love for those outside the church, but especially the members of the church. Uh, those who are in the local church together, uh, how does their love look towards one another? Is it just words? Is it just really nice, hey, how you doing when you come to church? Or is it real meaningful love in action as you live life together? Uh, do you meet each other's needs? Do you help each other? Uh, do you minister to one another? Is the entire church really participating, loving one another? And then in hope. Oh, he's talking about here their trust in their established future in heaven with God and his son Jesus Christ. Do you have a strong hope? Are you living in such a way that you really truly believe the end of all of this is that you're going to face God uh, one day in heaven? And, and the reality is for those who are believers, yes. And so we need to live that way. And so Paul is kind of saying, hey, listen, I just want you to know right up front, you guys are doing good. You're doing a pretty good job. Your faith is good. Your hope is good. Your love is good. Now, he is writing to them for a specific reason and a specific challenge, which we're not going to talk about today. It's kind of a cliffhanger for later. Uh, but uh, I want you to come back. Uh, but we will be talking about it. But it's not, it has nothing to do with their faith, hope, and love. All right? And so he, he really commends them on these three things. Then he says the true gospel, the same gospel that saved them, is the same gospel that they need to project uh, and, and, and share with others for, for Christ to change their lives. Look what it says in verses 5 through 8. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, there's the pastor there, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Here we see that the true gospel always bears fruit. Paul's saying, look guys, you've got to remember, don't ever forget the fact that the gospel, the truth of the gospel is what saved you and it is what's bearing more fruit. It's the thing that is helping others come to Christ, see them get baptized, see them get discipled, see their lives transformed, see them reproducing in the lives of their family and their friends. And by the way, it's not just happening in your church, it's happening all over the world. And it's continuing till this day. Paul here is, is comparing uh, the eternal lives of, of people, their eternal souls, to spiritual fruit. And what he's saying is, listen, if your tree is good, if your tree is good and you're, you're growing, and you're, you're going to eventually bear fruit. And folks, it's God's expectation that all of us bear fruit in the lives of other people. It's not just the pastor's job. 
It's not just ministers' jobs. It's, it's all of our jobs to produce spiritual fruit by sharing our faith with those around us. And he's saying, listen, you guys are doing this well, but it's not just happening where you're at. It's happening all over the place. But it's a challenge for us to remember that, that we should be seeing spiritual fruit in our lives. Now listen, when we share the gospel with other people, we share with them how Jesus died for their sins, that he, he died on the cross to pay for their sinfulness, and that by faith they can put their faith and trust in him and what he did on the cross to pay for their sins if they'll just ask him for forgiveness, repent of their sins, and turn to him for forgiveness. And they don't respond the way we want them to, we can get really discouraged, right? We go, oh man, I, I want them to do it so bad. But, but folks, it's, it's, not, it's not our responsibility to, to turn somebody to Christ. It's our responsibility to be messengers. I, I can't change the heart of a human being. Can you? No. All I can do is share the message with them. What they do with that is between them and Jesus. But it is our responsibility to share the gospel with others. And why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we? If we had somehow, if somebody in our church, maybe one of our graduates, you know, came up with the cure for cancer, uh, wouldn't we be touting that to everybody? Wouldn't we be telling everybody with cancer, you've got to take this thing. I'm telling you, it works. There's been, we've seen people's uh, lives totally changed. We've seen all of them cured by, of cancer 100%. No side effects. You need, I mean, we would be uh, almost... Uh, forcibly holding people down and pouring it down their throat, wouldn't we? Probably not quite that much, but we'd be sure trying to convince them, wouldn't we? Why would we not convince people more about saving their eternal souls than we would their physical lives? The reality, folks, is um, I'm not sure that we really understand or believe firmly that the gospel is what changes people's lives. Only it does. And Paul says, listen, you're seeing spiritual fruit. Keep bearing fruit. Keep bearing fruit. Keep bearing fruit. And we should do the same. Then Paul prays for the knowledge of God's will in wisdom. And that kind of sounds like a mouthful there, but look what he says in verse 9. And so, in transitional statement, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now it's interesting that he doesn't say, listen, I just, I just want you to know God's will. Because the knowledge of God's will is really, it does nothing for us without executing it. We must do God's will with wisdom. What it's saying here is this, folks. Uh, there, there is the understanding, the, the intellectual knowledge, the knowing of what is God's will for your life. But then there's the wisdom for how to apply that to make that real, to live it out, and see the fruit from it. That's a different thing. See, knowledge by itself, if you just read and study God's Word all day long and you know more and more and more and more about God's Word, but you never put any of it to practice, the Bible says that knowledge just puffs you up, makes you egotistical because you know so much. It doesn't change your life, doesn't transform you. The only thing that transforms us is when we take those biblical principles and we learn to apply them to our actual life and our real life and how we live and how we make decisions and how we do relationships and all those things. 
Many years ago, I was on staff at a, another church, a, a pretty large church, and I remember one day, uh, we had a whole bunch of administrative assistants there, and uh, there was a lot of people on staff, and we were kind of having a thing in the office, just a little uh, you know, conversation there. Somebody was sharing uh, some challenges in life, some really difficult situations they were going through. And as they were all kind of giving their opinion about what they should do or how they should handle it, I just walked back to my desk, got my Bible, and I walked up to him and I said, and now this, this sounds like what you're talking about. And I read him some verses and I said, this is what God's word says to do here. And they go, oh yeah, thanks a lot. That was the end of the conversation. About an hour later, I was in my office and one of the people that was in that conversation came to me and goes, dude, that was like amazing. How did you do that? It was like I, saw, I did some kind of magic trick, you know? Like I saw a woman in half right in front of him or something. I'm like, what do you mean, what did I do? How did you like, like know where to go in the Bible and how that would really like, uh, talk about my life and, and how to apply it and all that kind of stuff? I'm like, guys, it's, it's right there. All you got to do is read it, know it, memorize it, put it into practice. And they were just amazed. Folks, we, we shouldn't be amazed. We shouldn't be amazed when, when we are able uh, to put God's word practically into our lives. Uh, you know, one of the reasons that, that I decided as a college student to continue my faith instead of abandon it, one of the reasons that I decided to get very serious about it instead of go another way was because I realized that Christianity works. It just works. It works in real life. It's not a belief system out here that I can latch on to and, and have some special services or, or religious holidays or whatever. It's a way of living that really works. And that's why I gravitated toward it. Paul's saying, listen, I'm praying for you to have the knowledge of God's will and wisdom. And if you do, not just know God's word, but understand how to apply it to your real life, here's what the results will be. He says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing to him. Look at verse 10. He says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Now on the surface, that sounds pretty easy. Uh, and when he says, so as to, that's a little transitional statement. He's saying, this is why I want you to pray for knowledge of God's will with wisdom, so you'll do this. But then he says, live out a life. If he would have said there, uh, live out a life pleasing to God. That would have a little bit of punch to it. But when he says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Wow. I want you to understand the full impact of that phrase. What he's saying there is, folks, Jesus died for you. Live as though you deserve it. Ooh, yikes. That, that hurts. In other words, live in such a way that you don't make him sorry for what he did. Ooh. Live in such a way that he feels like it was a good investment. Oh. You see, folks, it's not just enough to try and please God sometimes. We need to live our lives in a way that somehow, in some way, it seems to kind of, sort of, at times, pay Jesus back a little bit for what he did for us. We'll never be able to do it. I'll always be indebted to God. I will always be completely indebted to Jesus and for what he sacrificed on the cross. But if I can live my life in such a way to just slightly, just barely 
make him feel like it was worth it? That's what Paul's talking about here. That's what Paul's talking about here. And so he says, Live in a, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. We sang these songs this morning, and as we sang them, we thought, wow, do we all really live this way? Do we, what Jesus paid, did it really transform my life? Has it really caused my life to be different? Now, I don't know for sure what my life would be like without Christ, but I'll tell you what, it would be incredibly chaotic knowing myself and my personality and my uh, tendencies. My life would be total and complete chaos without Jesus. And it has some level of organization and <laughs> life to it because he's in my life, because I let him uh, help me with life. But I want us to really understand this, folks. He's saying, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing to him. Then he says, bearing uh, fruit in good works. Now, I already talked about bearing fruit in people's lives. But here he says, I also want you to bear fruit, which is the other kind of spiritual fruit, uh, in, the, in good works. He says, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Doing good things brings about a process of growing and actually producing more things. You know, even the secular world kind of gets this. When they say, oh, somebody was good to me, I want to pay it forward. I mean, I, they kind of get it a little bit. But what this is really saying, folks, is, listen, uh, uh, you need to bear fruit in the lives of others while you're doing good works. It's fruit that comes out of your life, good work. Jesus uh, is implanted in my life through the Holy Spirit. And what should come out of me, what should come out of my branches is good works, spiritual fruit. It should transform my life. We're going to see here, folks, in the book of Colossians. If you prayed some prayer on the back of a track at youth camp 20 years ago and your life hasn't changed at all, that kind of faith in Christ is not found in the scriptures. It's not New Testament Christianity. In fact, it's no Christianity at all. Every single real person whose life was changed by Jesus had a transformation of life, a transformation of thinking, a transformation of, the, of, of relationships, just a transformation in, in every aspect of how you do life. And so here we see uh, that Paul is saying, I'm going to pray that you bear fruit in good works. Then he says, being strengthened with God's power. Being strengthened with God's power. Look at verse 11. He says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Uh, you need to make sure that we pay careful, close attention to the, the words here. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. In other words, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave is available to us. It is, it is not only available to us, we should tap into it. We should tap into it. And I know being a Baptist church, it kind of freaks us out a little bit. And in fact, if you didn't know this was a Baptist church, you're probably already freaked out. Uh, but, but, you know, we, we get a little freaked out. And we go, oh, we're going to talk about the power of God here. We're going to get, okay, listen, it, it doesn't mean we, we act silly and go goofy. Okay, what it means is, folks, we don't rely on ourselves to get us through difficult things. You know, one of my favorite movies is... Um, um, What's, that, what's the name of the giant movie? With the, thank you, Facing the Giants. 
And there's this great scene in there where he's, uh, the coach has got these football players and he's talking to them, telling them you know, about how they can just, if they'll just press on, if they'll just really try hard, they don't know the power in them, da, 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 da. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's a lot of things you can kind of do that way. And he, he takes this young man and he puts him down on all fours and he uh, gets another guy to get on his back. And he says, now I'm going to I'm gonna want you to carry this guy on your back and crawl for 10 yards or 20 yards or whatever he tells him. He's like, oh, coach, I can't do that. It's too hard. It's too difficult. He goes, no, you can do it. I, you can do it. He goes, and let me blindfold you first. So he blindfolds the kid. And, uh, uh, you know, so then he starts. And, of course, the, you know, music starts playing. And, you know, it gets really, you know, dramatic. And, he, and the coach is like, keep going, man. You keep going. You're almost there. You just got a little farther. You're a little farther. And he keeps going. He keeps crawling. keeps crawling. Finally, he gets all 100 yards. The kid, you know, passes out in exhaustion practically, takes the, the blindfold off. Can't believe he did it. Now, there's nothing wrong with uh, uh, that movie. There's nothing wrong with that. But here's the problem with the scene. This kid, in his own power, is able to crawl this whole distance with his coach cheering him on. That is a great representation of the human spirit. But that's not what this is talking about, folks. This is talking about the spirit of God in our lives getting us through things that we could not get through on our own. This is the Spirit of God doing something in us in in a powerful way that we could not possibly handle by ourselves, control by ourselves. This is what we rely on, folks, when the doctor gives us terrible news. This is what we rely on, folks, when, when you lose your job and you don't know what to do. This is what you rely on when our relationships are in turmoil and they're about to split apart and we don't know how to fix them. God's power is there, folks. When you say, I can't do it, it's just too hard, you're right. It's too hard for us, but it's not too hard for God. So we rely on him. And Paul's saying, listen, guys, I'm praying. I'm praying for you earnestly to be strengthened with God's power. Then he says, finally, be thankful for salvation and the forgiveness of sins. Look at verses 12 through 14. It says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He's saying, listen, I'm going to pray that you remember this. I'm going to pray that this is a part of every waking moment. I'm going to pray that when you wake up in the morning, you remember to be thankful for what God's done in your life because that'll get you through the day. I'm going to pray that when you face those difficult challenges that you remember already what God's done for you and that no matter what happens on this planet, folks, if you're a believer in Christ, if you put your faith and trust in him, no matter what happens on this earth, when we leave this earth, we're with the Lord. There's nothing that is really that bad. Even if it kills us, we win. We win still. So, folks, that's something we should be thankful for every single day. I mean, and then we look around at our lives and see how blessed they are. Wow. But that's also part of the problem in us keeping ourselves focused on Jesus being supreme. Is because our lives are full of many, many other things. And so Paul prays this great prayer for these folks. He's like, guys, you, 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 are, you are really great in this whole uh, process of having love and faith and hope. 
but I'm praying for you uh, to have the knowledge of God and have the wisdom to put it into practice. I'm going to pray that you'll do that so that you'll walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord and it pleases him, so that you'll bear fruit in good works, so that you'll be strengthened with God's power to make it through anything, always being thankful for your salvation and for the forgiveness of sins that only comes through the cross of Christ. Folks, this is Paul's prayer for the church in in Colossae. But you know what? Paul knew that this letter was going to be circulated. Not every every letter that he wrote was a circulatory letter. It was written to that specific church. It has been uh, kept for us. Uh, But but this particular uh, letter was written knowing that it would go on to other churches. That wasn't just Paul's prayer for that church. That's Paul's prayer for us. That was Paul's prayer 2,000 years ago for Fellowship of Grace. Folks, at Fellowship of Grace, I'm praying that you will learn and just have the knowledge of God and put it into practice in your lives. I'm praying that you'll walk in a manner worthy of the Lord that pleases him. I'm praying that you'll bear fruit in good works and, and you'll be strengthened with God's power and that you'll always be thankful, always live in a thankful way for salvation and for the forgiveness of sins that only comes through putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Folks, that's Paul's prayer for, that, for us, and that's my prayer for us, is that we'll do these things. I think that will put us in the position that we can hear next week really what it means to make Jesus the supreme priority to everything in life. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that it teaches us and encourages us to follow you better. God, forgive us where we have failed you. Forgive us where we make you a priority instead of the priority. God, help us to realign our lives. Help us to uh, know and understand your word and and begin to apply it in a real uh, wise way according to your spirit and your word so that we can live transformed lives. Father, we're thankful for the power that comes from your Holy Spirit the power to overcome sin, the power to fix relationships, the power even to face the most difficult of circumstances. God, help us to rely on that power. Help us to embrace it and just be encouraged by having access to that power. Most of all, God, help us to always be thankful for how you've saved us. We were desperate sinners, lost, going our own way. And as, you, uh, as we sang earlier, the light of the world reached out to us. You initiated that relationship to us. You were first in reaching out to us. God, we are so thankful. Help us to never, never get over what you have done for us. Help us to always Uh, just affect us, to to motivate us, to to thrill us, uh, to just change us. God, we are so, so, so very blessed that you chose to love us. Help us to live that way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.